0: Really True Fiction is a podcast exploring famous stories to discover the wisdoms, lessons, insights, and ideas therein. Be advised that there will be heavy spoilers for whatever story we are discussing in this episode, as well as potential spoilers for other stories. Check episode notes or social media posts for additional spoilers. Please note that this podcast contains so many bad words and so many crude observations. If this is not your jam, please don't bring the toast. I'm your host Luke Mason.
1: I'm your co-host David Parker.
0: And today we're going to be talking about uh, the novel Cat's Cradle by Kurt Vonnegut. Uh, David you read this book recently and today. How did you like it?
1: You know what it's a it's a really good commentary I think on the human condition. It's very dark. (laughs) There's not a lot of hope in it but I I found being able to laugh in the face of the abyss to be quite enjoyable.
0: Yeah that's great. So if you haven't read the book, uh, spoilers, throughout all of this, uh, we are going to be discussing many, many aspects of the book, everything that struck us, to find some of the wisdoms and insights in it. Uh, So I'm just going to give a quick run-through of the plot, though that is not our focus, nor does it seem to be Vonnegut's (laughs) focus either, (laughs) as (laughs) themes and ideas are very much more crucial. So basically, Cat's Cradle starts out with the narrator, who is the main character as well. name is John, but he calls himself Jonah, and he's looking to write a book on uh, what uh, prominent Americans were doing on the day Hiroshima was bombed, which takes him to find out about a man named Felix Heinecker, who was one of the physicists who worked on the bomb, and through some sort of, uh, through trying to research for his book and uh, for the interviews, he talks to uh, uh, someone he worked with who reveals that Dr. Heinecker also created this compound called Ice-9, which is a compound that turns liquid water into ice upon touch and apparently doesn't have any sort of limit (laughs) on how far that will go, (laughs) which becomes really relevant later. And this Jonah character gets involved with the three of Heinecker's children through... (laughs) Uh, not even really relevant plot means. I don't even remember how he does no, it. No, <laughs> although
1: he, tra- he ties it a lot into the to the Bocanism or whatever. Yes, yes, so. yes. So
0: after he meets up uh, with Heinecker's daughter and son, and Heinecker has passed away, they go to this fictional island in the Caribbean of San Lorenzo uh, with several other characters on an airplane to meet the third Heinecker child who happens to be Uh, prominent in with the dictator of San Lorenzo.
1: (laughs) And there's a surprisingly large portion of the book dedicated to that airplane flight. I'd say at least 20% of it is him talking to people on that airplane flight.
0: Yes. And then, really, the meat of the story takes place on the island where Jonah and several other people um, start to learn a little bit about Bokanism, which is the religion of the island, but it's against the law, but everyone does it because... Well, we'll get into that because Bocanism is really probably the highlight of this book. And through uh, (laughs) twists and turns, the dictator of San Lorenzo passes away uh, because he had some ice nine that he swallowed. And so he froze stiff. And then the end of the book, there's a massive ceremony going on for the funeral. And through like an airplane tribute, uh, they accidentally knock The building down with a rocket to drop... The corpse of of this dictator, which...
1: So one of the things apparently about Ice-9 is that once it touches water at all, it just spreads through all water in that vicinity. So the world ends.
0: So all of the ocean around the Caribbean just turns to ice. And so obviously this has massive ecological effects if you just... (laughs) All the cows are dead, all the
1: birds are dead.
0: Yeah, so... And then... The last couple chapters of the book are Jonah surviving with a handful of people on San Lorenzo and then a few more people die and then the book ends. So that's a basic plot overview. I'm sure I missed some things, so No, I think that was that's I mean, like you said, the plot doesn't appear
1: to be one of the focuses of, of the writing of this book at all.
0: Yeah, so apologies to all the Vonnegut purists out there, but uh we're not gonna be actually able to remember all of it
1: (laughs) we did very much enjoy the book though so (laughs) yes
0: this is i should say like this is one of my all-time favorite books and kurt vonnegut probably more famous for slaughterhouse five maybe that would have been a more uh intuitive book for us to do right off the bat but i just remember reading cat's cradle for the first time maybe i don't know probably 10 years ago and just being like oh my god (laughs) This This makes so much sense. (laughs) This book is so good, and just all the little aspects of it.
1: So now that we've gone through that, do you want to go through your first couple of thoughts that you had?
0: Well, on this island of San Lorenzo, they have a religion called Bocanism, which is officially against the law, as San Lorenzo is officially a Christian nation. And they have this oh, something we forgot to mention. The plot they have this really gruesome death right, that they yes. do called the hook, which, if I remember correct, is they just hang from hook, a hook. Basically,
1: yeah, they take a take a really large fishing hook, like we're talking like the kind you catch sharks with, and they jab it right through you and then hang you by the hook till you die. And one of the tenets of bokeanism appears to be that. Those people aren't going to die a noble death. It's going to be really gruesome and ugly, but you know, after they will have an afterlife apparently. So
0: yeah. So Bocanism is no good.
1: But but also, if you steal, you do anything on this island, you get the hook. Like, it's the only punishment.
0: Yeah, yeah. So they don't have any sort of proportional punishment. It's no. just, uh, you steal, get the hook. You lie, you get the hook. I believe that's even what they say. Yeah, yeah you got the hook. You get,
1: and they have, uh, an, I'm not going to be able to pronounce it, but they have very weird pronunciation of Eng, of English on this island. So they call it something like the hookah or something. I'm not I'm not going to get yeah, that yeah, right. Yeah, that's but. another little
0: aspect of the narrator notes that uh, all of the English seems to be very almost babytized or like almost intentionally made into a stereotype yeah like it's not
1: that's he says in the book it's very uh, easy to understand for him, but it's not easy to write down so, right
0: exactly so
1: but going back to what you're saying about Bocanism, yeah
0: Bokanism but... this is a religion. That, as we find out through the narrative of the book, actually was introduced by two castaways uh, to the island. I, don't, I can't remember exactly why did they introduce it. So
1: at least uh, my understanding was they got to the island and it was full of misery. Like basically everyone was living a, a terrible life. And one of my favorite parts of the book is what he's describing is like when the Dutch took it over, the English didn't complain. When the Span- Spanish took it over from the Dutch, the Dutch didn't complain. No one really wanted this island. It was apparently just a wasteland, but it has apparently 450,000 people living on it. So it's incredibly densely populated but with no real industry or even agricultural ability, it, or, and it doesn't even have any natural resources. Like, there's a lot of poverty and misery here.
0: So, yeah, not a lot going on. <laughs> no. So what do people who don't have a lot going on need?
1: They need something to believe in. They need a story. They need a religion, right? <laughs> yeah, they <laughs> yeah, need a story.
0: <laughs> so I believe it was members of the U.S. Navy, who yeah, yeah. So they were washed ashore.
1: Yeah. Two two people that were
0: way way years before. Yeah. Before the narrative of the of the story, we find out that I don't know thirty to forty years prior, two people washed up on the shore who were I think deserted from the one of them American American kind Navy. of had
1: this weird situation where he'd stolen all the reserve currency for for his unit or or company or something, and then. Boken or Johnson, as it actually goes, but the, how they pronounce it on the island is Boken. But Johnson and this uh, other fellow, who we'll remember in a moment his name. McCabe. McCabe. There McCabe, there is. Yeah. McCabe Johnson and McCabe
0: right. are the two yes,
1: there we go. fellows
0: who washed up on this island, found all this misery, and were like, well, fuck it. We need a religion, or these people are just going to be miserable <laughs> well, forever.
1: And not only that, though, they also realized there needed to be a battle between good and evil. And so, McCabe had to become the evil dictator, and Bokin had to become the saint, and there's this really great line in the book where he talks about um, the problem was that it it had a terrible toll on both of them, because both of them were basically equal part, to begin with, saint and, and pirate is the word he uses, but basically, McCabe had to become this evil person, and... Bokan had to become this saint in order for the religion to work and, and to play out this drama that everyone understood.
0: Yeah. So they were experts in meta narrative. Exactly. <laughs> Which is why this is a great book for totally, this podcast. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I just want to read a little quote from the book about Bokanism. So this is uh, a quote by Bokanin, the creator of Bokanism, about Bokanism. It is a useful religion founded on lies. <laughs> <laughs> and he calls it FOMA,
1: and he keeps referring to just all the lies that he tells as FOMA. So. Yes,
0: but like underlying the point of all the lies are little things that are kind of, I guess, observations about human nature and human interaction that are supposed to, I guess, name these kind of feelings about things we do to help us understand a little bit more about what's going on in our lives with each other. And then to encourage some, discourage others. Uh, and I found even just reading it, like, giving a name to some of these instances uh, helped because he would explain a situation, but I didn't give it a name. it would be like, oh, yeah, I've totally experienced that yeah. before, but I just didn't ever think to call it something.
1: Yeah, it was, right? it was really cool how he was basically not in a very short book showing us how a religion could be developed based on anecdotal evidence and things that have just happened in your life that everyone... A shared experience, I think, is the best way to describe it. It's things that other people have experienced, and so you got that aha moment, or as he calls it, the vindit.
0: Yes. So one of the coolest things... I mean, there are so many. We're not going to name all of them, but there are so many cool little expressions in Bocanism. I'll just read the names of some of them so you get a sense of how cool they are. There's a carass there's a womp eater, there's a duprass, you have rang-rangs, you have grandfaloons, you have steppas, duffles, and sinwats, and uh, dozens other. So you can see <laughs> kind of how... It's just like it's supposed to be silly.
1: But it's To taken, the reader. Yeah.
0: Like one of the cool things about how when you read these words is you're like, oh, karas, grandfaloon, these are just stupid words. And when you kind of start to put together them thematically and how they're explaining elements of the human condition you're just like oh it's even better that they're dumb words because they're actually capturing really deep things yeah. about our experience so uh when you mix the mirth that you get a little bit with the funny word a dumb word a dumb funny word with a deep meaning that at the surface just seems maybe not deep but once you to think about it more It really gets there is what's so cool. So basically, I would say the heart of this book is Bocanism. And there's some characters that are interesting, but I think they mostly the characters in this book exist to exemplify aspects of Bocanism.
1: And I found that all of the characters were more caricatures. There didn't appear to be any attempt to develop the characters based on things that had happened in their lives. Almost all of them were pre-developed. When we meet them, they don't really change throughout the book. We don't really see very much development, except a little bit of development on John's part when he's suddenly made the dictator of St. Saint, Saint Lorenz.
0: <laughs> yeah, we forgot that part at the <laughs> yeah, end. Because uh, yeah. when Papa, the Papa, the they dictator... They just call him Papa, yeah. When he dies... Who is Macabre, by the way? McCabe. McCabe, sorry, yeah. McCabe, yeah. McCabe. So when he dies uh, in the third act of the book... Um, The third Heineker Franklin or Frank, who is why they're even going to this island in the first place, because previously in the book, Jonah or John had met his two other children and they said, oh, well, we got to go see Frank.
1: Well, sort of. They were actually on their way there. uh, And he was going to interview this guy who'd started a hospital in the jungle to take care of all these miserable people to make up for all the bad things he'd done in his life. Castle. I can't remember his castle. Dr. Castle is the guy's name
0: he through you know hilarity of circumstance is offered dictator of san lorenzo and he just came to interview some people for a book he was writing about where prominent americans were on the day hiroshima was bombed and uh that was uh i believe a womp eater of his carass, if i have going through so let's um yeah, let's, let's go th- through some yeah. of these uh terms and just kind of talk about how they're meaningful in the book, and like um, some of them certainly struck me. To me, the biggest one is a carass. So that's K A R A S S. And this is basically something that in the book they're described as teams that do God's will unknowingly and are tied together for no logical reason.
1: So, yeah, I, 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 that was the term that struck me the most, too, and the part that struck me the most about it was the for no reason. So, these aren't your parents. They're not your friends that you grew up with and went to the same school assets. So seemingly, they come into your life for an unknown reason, but you feel connected to them, and they play some kind of role in whatever this purpose that God has for you is.
0: Well, sure. I mean, they could be your friends.
1: Yeah. Right? But, but it couldn't be the, your friends that you made. Well... Could, he, well, he didn't make this clear. He says for no apparent reason. And, and in the book, everyone that's a part of his group or whatever, they don't seem to have any tie to him at all.
0: Right. Well, I would contrast carrass, which are people who come into your life for no apparent reason, with Grandfaloon, yes. which is another of his yes. concepts. I and love Grandfaloon. So I think you need the two together. So the Grandfaloon is uh, defined as a proud and meaningless association of human beings. A false carass or a team that is meaningless in the terms of the way gods get things done. So the examples he used in the book are the Communist Party, <laughs> the Daughters of the American Revolution, the General Electric Company, etc. So uh, maybe a good way to think about it is uh, the people in your caress are the people who you feel connected to through some sort of emergent quality that nobody plans. Yep. Whereas a grand faloon is more kind of like top-down in a uh, formalized structure a political party a political party a, um, a sport oh, fan oh you like the Montreal Canadiens so do I we're probably friends well that would be a good example of a grand falloon unless you had other ties to them whereas a carass is like I don't know you've been to a party and someone makes a joke and you're just like that was really funny you know or they say they make a comment and you're kind of all of a sudden a little bit more like interested in hearing more about what they have to say So it's kind of more uh, people in your caress are people, I just interpret as people you're connected to, that because of something that is emergent, no one else has to tell you that you're interested in what they're doing or what they're saying. You just notice it.
1: And they seem to keep interfering in your life. They keep entering. Like We've all had that experience where we run into someone and we don't know if we're going to ever see them again and then suddenly you run into them again and you just keep running into them and suddenly you become friends with them. It's like this, I like that word, emergent quality, which means something has happened in the universe seemingly that is bringing you together with these people.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's good for the story to like, because um, uh, Heinecker's children uh, are part of Jonah's... Carass. Carass yeah. and a couple other people on the plane that they're with. But if I was going to relate it to real life instead of saying like something in the universe makes these people part of, like if I think about my life, my caress is actually people who I kind of have some sort of respect for or who do things that they don't necessarily have to do, but want to, to try and help others. They're not forced into some sort of, uh, they're not playing a role. Right. Right. It's more that they're
1: there because you value. them. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, obviously, these people become friends because <laughs> they're who you're attracted to. So I think my guess is what Vonnegut's doing with contrasting these carasses versus Grandfaloons is pointing out that we so easily develop culture and that culture makes us think, oh, this person is from my country. I have to like them or whereas you know like i've traveled i've met people in korea who i like way more than people i've met in canada right <laughs> that kind of thing uh,
1: on an individual basis it, I, he's going against the whole idea that we should be in, uh, involved in tribes for um arbitrary reasons like skin color or like religion he like like na- oh yeah one of the lines is he, he anyone who belongs to a nation at all is in a grand <laughs> like it's all created and it doesn't it doesn't matter because it's not real.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, the nation state is itself a kind of functional fiction that we all have some sort of, like, we're downstream from our ancestors' culture and religion and values and ideas, and there's, like, a really loose <laughs> grouping of all those things into nation states. Uh, but especially with Kurt Vonnegut himself, the author, having served in World War II, he would have seen a lot of the atrocities of... Developing, nationalistic, proclivities, right?
1: And for the people who haven't read this, one of the things that, that Jonah or John keeps referring to is how he smoked over three or two hundred fifty thousand cigarettes and like six thousand quarts of alcohol. So this character is not a a joyful character, but he's really drawn to this Bokanism religion because it gives a sense of meaning while admitting that it's not true
0: yeah exactly and i just i think i love this idea of a carass because it gives again a word to almost a subconscious reaction that it you might have to people who are in no way associated with you other than you just kind of liking how they are yeah right yeah and I mean- and he's pointing out how authentic that is in comparison to our grand falloons which are often socially ascribed oh um you went to this university so did i we you probably now you were friends and um i don't now i don't like this other person you have to not like them too because they're not part of this grand falloon right <laughs> Well, except,
1: yeah and the interesting thing is he does mention that to be in your crevasse they don't you don't necessarily have to like them right and i think part of it is that He's he's going in, cause it's, because this is so central to the religion of Bocanism, Um, it's about the fact that God has a will and you're part of some little tribe of people that you're not, that are you're related to or not necessarily in your same country, but he's connected. There's this big spider web of connection throughout the universe. It's connecting you to these people that's going to cre- accomplish this purpose. Now, obviously, Bocanism is not true and it says it's not true, but it does provide this, Let's say...
0: It's a self-aware, uh, half-tongue-in-cheek, half-tongue-out-of-cheek uh, idea. Yeah, yeah. Right?
1: But it's an idea I think we can all say that we've experienced. Like you said, when you go to a party and suddenly you instantly connect with someone, or you keep running into a person. I've had so many experiences in life like that. And you. I think everyone, hopefully everyone listening to this, has had the experience of of just that when someone gets you so well and you feel like you get them and it's
0: an immediate connection. So maybe next time if you're like invited out to go somewhere and you have this feeling of like, oh, I don't really want to go. Maybe it's because a lot of the people there are actually uh, in a grandfaloon of yours <laughs> and you kind of realize that because it doesn't sound like it's fun to associate with people in your grandfaloon. No, <laughs> although a- I
1: think a lot of people are lonely and they do, right? I mean, a lot of people get their identities from things like their nation state like their political party like their favorite sports team and there's nothing necessarily wrong with that but that can't be the foundation for your real in- human relationships Well they can be fickle. Yeah.
0: Right? You're in one day, you're, you're on up. the outs the next because the structure itself is not individual focused. Right? So the level of a grand falloon is uh, at least one up above Right. It has nothing individual. to do with you. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's it's, a good way of putting it. It's a, it's a, some sort of social role or it's a role, right? It's after you are David, now you are this thing. And that's actually what we're focused on. Uh, and one of the cool things I got out of the crass is that actually the beginning of it is you. Like you right. don't have to be anything else to be in it. Right. Just, right? yeah, just yeah. yourself. So it's primary in that sense.
1: Right. No, I like that.
0: Yeah. Which is cool because, I think we all kind of relate to that feeling of when you're with the people you feel the closest with and you just, you've shed pretensions, you know, and you don't have any like, oh man, I got to try and impress this person or what are they thinking? How am I stacking up socially? Am like I that.
1: rising in the. I think grandfluence probably have intense hierarchies.
0: Yes, <laughs> uh, they have to. Yeah. Because they are ascribed structures as opposed to what what would happen if people just spent time together what kind of rules would they get as opposed to maybe one or two or three people ascribing rules to others yes right yeah i think and so like i imagine a caress like let's say they're trying to play invent it they're playing like they're kicking a ball around for the first time and they're so they're kind of inventing soccer. soccer but it's like one rule at a time oh if we run too far it's not going to be good we need sidelines okay and then the sidelines oh but like what if it goes out well how what's the fair way to do it like it's like a reasonable exchange of ideas to develop something whereas grand Falloons, you need authorities at the top saying yep this to, is how it's done to yeah. everybody yeah which of course i haven't thought about this too much but the, the strictest version of Christianity is very easily a grand faloon. Right. As uh, right. Uh, uh, contrasted to Bocanism, and so, and <laughs> which <so. laughs> is much more like, oh, you... You're a part of this. Me too. That's cool. We every yeah. It's it's almost got a Jamaican feel to it. Eh? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. It's like definitely a little a, bit of a. It's a very Caribbean religion. Yeah, it's a very Caribbean it's like, religion. Hey, Yeah, come on, be Bocanist. <laughs> everyone is, but we're. But, all... it, but isn't Bocanism, Isn't that that religion that's not true? Yeah, yeah. yeah that's the one. You know, well, we all really that's, love it. Yeah. yeah, but like it's great for everyone here. You know, <laughs> well, that's in fact a,
1: a quote that often comes up. Right, is that it is? They're like, well, you know. Maybe it's not true, but it works. <laughs> and that's, the uh, I think, the most interesting part about it.
0: It's a psychologically pragmatic religion. Yeah, exactly. exactly. It gets you through the day, <laughs> but it doesn't have any of the negative side effects of taking itself too seriously, and thus uh, necessitating imposing it on uh, others. Until the very end, though.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> where Boken's just like, I think the universe or God wants you all to be dead, and they're like, okay, and they all kill
0: themselves. Well, yeah, so... <laughs> um, Nothing's immune. No. <laughs> right? But I would argue that, yeah, again, at the end of the book, basically it's a mass suicide of Bocanists. Yeah. The ones that survive the Initial, the climate. Whatever. Yeah. The climate disaster happens. Everything turns to ice. There's a significant minority of survivors, and they then and then they commit suicide afterwards but but boken or bocannon
1: does not yeah and continues on because as one of the jokes is that one of the main characters says about him she's like he always said he would never do what he told other people to do because that would be ridiculous
0: yeah so yeah i mean without going too far down the the trail of what belief systems what terrible things belief systems can do to people and their behavior I think I think it's like a, it's almost a revelation of what Bokanism is that this actually happens, right? Where it's so not what Bokanism has professed to be that it's so startling. Yes, that they do yes. this, right?
1: And yet makes total sense to arguably the, the Virgin Mary of Bokanism, which is this Mona guy or lady. Okay, so I found her to be a really not an interesting character from a literary. Uh, perspective because she's very flat and there's almost no character development, but very interesting as a symbol. The, for the first moment we meet her in the book, uh, she is on the front cover of a, a magazine advertising Saint Lawrence, uh, the island that everyone's on. And our... is it Saint
0: Lorenz or San Lorenzo? San Lorenzo. That's it. <laughs> that's it. Um... I asked that knowing the answer, <laughs> I so know. I'm a an have... ass, but I didn't want to be an ass, but now I am. <laughs> now that's you're fine. Being an ass, it's all right. <laughs>
1: So, so we see this uh, advertisement, and John, or Jonah, falls in love with her immediately. He, he, one of the quotes that I wanted to read was, basically, the idea is it's that love at first sight. Now, our character, John, has been married twice. He's obviously a heavy drinker, heavy smoker. He's a, he's a journalist of sorts. He just wants to write a book. Um, and he sees her, and he falls in love with her. And then he ends up getting this assignment to go and interview this doctor who started this hospital. On the island, and as luck would have it, he runs into her, and she is a very interesting character because she's kind of she's been raised by, Bo, uh, Boca, in Bocanism with uh, the daughter of this uh, doctor who started the facility. who Who we find out in the book is is in love with her and making a mosaic of her at his hotel that he's built. There's a lot of weird little plot points that don't really have any connection, to anything. But the the long and short of it is, everyone is in love with she's apparently the most beautiful woman in the world um, and John falls in love with her but as he builds this relationship with her and then eventually when he's made the dictator of the island for the very short time that he is is told that he has to marry her because Bokanism has prophesied that she will marry the president of the island that she can't marry her adopted father so she was going to marry this the Franklin uh, the son of the scientist and then didn't, so here she is, and she ends up marrying him. So he's getting everything that he wants. Suddenly he's the dictator of this island, which changes his perspective on a lot of things very quickly, and he's marrying this woman that he'd fallen madly in love with, love at first sight. So it's like, Bocanism is giving him everything that he wants. But then, uh,
0: so then the first... He can't really have a, a religion without a beautiful woman as, <laughs> woman as tribute, hey? No, no. I mean, and it's... <laughs> So, I mean, this is, right on script we have
1: to remember this was set long long ago uh so maybe the treatment of the of the female character is not as good but he do, he doesn't praise it at all it's almost as if Bokanism has made her this robot that kind of just does whatever she believes is the right thing to do but what he does pull out which i really like is what religion can do to you psychologically in the sense that she finds it crazy that this John guy wants to, her to only have sex with him and to only do these rituals. So one of the main rituals of Bokanism is that you take off your shoes and you take off your socks and you put the soles of your feet to the soles of the feet of whoever you're yeah, with. Yeah,
0: it's called uh, Bokumaru. Right,
1: Bokumaru.
0: And, you, and, you and it's, st- like the, it's the number one ritual – it's like going to church and worshiping or praying. Maybe that'd be a better way. Yeah, like, probably praying. Probably yeah. praying. It's Bokanism's praying is this Bokumaru.
1: And the idea here is if you stick your uh, unsoddened feet to another person's unsoddened feet, how could you possibly not feel more love for them through that? And then what, what uh, in typical... Uh, well, soul to fashion. soul, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But in, in typical current fashion, he says, as long as the feet are well-groomed.
0: <laughs> <So> <laughs> yes, of course. It's a It is a funny, what would you call it a Vonnegutism, which, if you are familiar with Vonnegut novels and he's got many, many great ones, he does throw these what would be ancillary or auxiliary little plot things in other novels are just really mostly what his books are made up of. Yeah. like his books are often made up of the potpourri and minutia of everyday life. So much so that you start noticing that actually that's what they're about, which is so cool. One of the reasons I love Vonnegut is his ability to capture these fleeting, momentary uh, little aspects. And Boku is a great example of that. How they do these, <laughs> yeah, foot to foot, and it's illegal, and you get the hook, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. So, but everyone does it. But uh... yeah, everyone does it. But if you get caught, you get the hook.
1: And then... Including, it turns out, at the end of his life, Papa, the Papa character. Yeah, yeah. And
0: is it, yeah, Papa, and, like, do the police not do it too? I think everyone. Yeah, everyone, everyone, basically, yeah.
1: So, yeah, going back, so anyway, this this kind of Eve-like character, they do the ritual together of putting their feet together, and, like, John says it's, like, the most intense experience of his life with with a woman, Uh, and you're like, what this is like where is they going with this and then after everything's fallen apart and they're and they're stuck in this like underground cave trying to survive there's this moment where he's, he describes this very short sex scene and like it's just catastrophic like it goes terribly and he's so upset and like he like she's not interested in sex at all i think it's interesting the the um what he's doing, what Kurt's doing with his character, right? Where she's supposed to be kind of the um, symbol of of sex and virality and all this kind of stuff. And then when it gets down to the real brass tacks of being a human and reproducing, she's just not interested in it at all.
0: Yeah. He would have been better finding someone else. Yeah. You know? (laughs) Yeah. So that's like a really good meditation on uh, the uh, elusiveness of beauty, and the superficiality, and he obviously really wanted this lady, but <laughs> symbolically enough, she was a picture on a magazine. Yeah, right. yeah.
1: And then, and oh yeah, sorry, there's one thing I forgot that's fairly important. When he's deciding whether or not he's going to become the dictator of this island and marry this woman, she's in arguing with him, and he's like, well, I want you to only be mine. If we're going to get married, you're only mine. And she thinks this is completely ridiculous. It's against her religion. She loves everyone equally. She does all of these things, whether it's the boku maru or or sex with many different people and so she she finds it crazy and for him, it's like what is going on this is this is not at all what I wanted from the my religion that I'm just becoming a part of
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs> Bokanism does nothing for my sexual jealousy <laughs> exactly what the hell <laughs> boan
1: <laughs> which in a sense, I guess you could say is is um bo- Bocanin's, um Critique of human sexuality itself.
0: Yeah, totally. Let's just run through some of the terms. Yeah. There's a lot of other terms. So a wampeter. That's a, well, I don't know if I'm saying it. Right. It was W A M P E T E R, and that is known as the hub of a carass. So this is the thing that is motivating the carass to come together. And so in the book, the hub of the carass is. Was it Ice-9? It was Ice-9. Ice-9. So this compound that the physicist Felix Heinecker made, and then his three children actually each got their own piece of it. So Frank, and then I can't remember the other two children's names. So there's
1: Angela, and then there's
0: um, Newt. Newt, yes. So we have Frank, Newt, and Angela, the three children of this physicist, and they all... Um, have a piece of ice nine so that is no that the ice nine is the and it's called ice nine because i think that's the, like the chemical compound uh or the molar the molecular number uh then there's nine involved somehow with h2o yeah. so, so it's, kind it's of, not real science <laughs> no not at all they don't explain
1: <laughs> it in a real scientific way at all basically the i think the argument is ice one is how ice is always known how to freeze on earth and this is nine steps above that because it has something to do with how it Cannonballs. It has to do with cannonballs. So if you have a cannonball and you stack a whole bunch of cannonballs around it, the first layer of cannonballs is going to determine the shape of the rest of the cannonballs. So the argument is, if you go to, if you tell something to do with this ice nine, then it's just going to freeze everything.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is what has brought all of these people together because there's a few characters on the airplane as well that are in the caros and people at the island too, and it's kind of the thing that has drawn all of them together. So that's just a kind of cool thing if you think about like, okay, well, what is it that influences carasses in real life? What like, brings what, us together? What brings us together? So like often it can be things like a love of of a sport, right? Or a particular maybe movie director. Or for me personally, it's often been people who just happen to have the same taste in music as me, right? Usually you could tell a lot about a person by the music they like. <laughs> totally, yeah. <laughs> but I just I th- or board games, right? Like when you find out that there are things that through no part of my own volition other people like to, that's just such a Hub, I guess. Actually, for it's, that grass.
1: Uh, C.S. Lewis has a line. He says, Friendship is looking at another person and saying, You too. And I like that as well. Like, it's the idea that you think you're alone in the world and then you find other, that others appreciate the things you do. Yeah. It's a great, that's a great Oh, moment. yeah.
0: <laughs> They're wampeters. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, we also quickly we have a duprass, which is a carass for two. So, oh, I like this concept. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, uh, essentially, it's like, the couple who just are so great for each other. And you they're know?
1: always, and, and their whole world is kind of like fulfilled in just the two of them. And like you, we've all been around couples where it's like you're there, but really it's just those two there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. They're just so on point with each other's jokes, banter, compassion, care. They anticipate each other's reactions to things and then play with that in a way that's, Such a nice combination of caring. And
1: they know each other so well. It's just those people that, like... um, Well, they're the people we say were meant for each other.
0: Yeah, totally. And so there's a couple on the airplane in this book that Vonnegut refers to as a Dupress, who I think he's going... He was the former ambassador, and he was going to be... Like, the man is going going to to be be the the ambassador of San Lorenzo and with his wife, and he... If I remember correctly, he answers all questions like with very short answers, maybe even monosyllabically. And then he quickly gets back to talking to his wife about something.
1: And <laughs> Doesn't seem very interested in this John character. No. Yeah. And
0: neither of them do. <laughs> so that's a cool thing about a Dupras. So there's a lot of other really great slang in this book, uh, in Bokanism. <laughs> I just love how much uh, work <laughs> went into this by Bokonin. So busy, busy, busy. And this is uh, where bokanists they whisper this whenever they think of how complicated and unpredictable the machinery of life really is and how life is just way too much to keep track of, right? Just there's so much
1: complexity of reality or, or sorrow or suffering, they just say busy, busy, busy.
0: I mean, I'm sure we have other expressions like this in English and other languages where it's just, oh my gosh, I cannot keep track of all the things going on. But I know things are going on, you know? Think of other people you know what they're doing. Like, do do you know that feeling sometimes where there's someone you know, you haven't seen them for maybe a couple weeks, you see them again, and they reveal some things to you that show that they just have like a full life outside of what you're perspective of the world is and they're doing stuff and like if you think about like oh the things that they did actually are affecting a lot of other people that are also outside of my purview right hell think about the fact like have you ever been to cairo have you been to Cairo? this no i haven't no i've never (laughs) been to cairo and yet there's like tens of millions 10 million people i think maybe a little bit less maybe there's a lot of people there right all doing things all living their lives and we have and like i've I've never even met anyone from cairo right (laughs) yeah and yet they have an economy, they have culture, they have a way of life, you know, in that city. Yeah, they, they have religion there. That's one city out of hundreds of cities in the world filled with thousands of people in the smallest of those cities. And so, you know, it's like, uh, busy, busy, busy. 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 <laughs> exactly, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think a nice, a good way to interpret that for real life is just like, you know, when I hear that, And when I think about what it means, it's just like okay, it's like a a sense of humility comes over me, where it's like oh okay, like there is so much going on and so much out of my control that I uh, I can start to feel like a little bit more grateful even for the things that I can control. So we also have a rang rang that's W R A N G W R A N G, and a rang rang is a person. who steers people away from a line of thinking by reducing that line with the example of the rang rang's own life to an absurdity.
1: So there's basically a scene in which he returns from uh, meetings he's been doing for these, this interview to write this book about the, uh, when the, bomb, the day of the bomb was dropped on Hiroshima. And he gets back in his place, has been completely trashed by this guy, this poet who is the head of a, a poetry society. Uh, just completely trashed his place, his cat was dead, his plant was dead, and it was at that moment that he realized that he couldn't uh, continue to focus on uh, nihilism because it just wasn't working for him, uh, and that he had to move towards bokanism. He didn't yeah. even know about bokanism at the time, but he realized he just couldn't be a, a nihilist.
0: Yeah, because the person who trashed it was, yes. <laughs> and this was just not a path he could see himself going down.
1: So that's a that's a rang rang. Yeah, a so rang rang. Those, so this the, that's those people in your life who you look at them and you're like, I just don't want to be like you. And I'm gonna do whatever <laughs> I can to not live the way you live.
0: And I think at a deeper level, if a philosophy can't be lived, uh, in a way that feels life affirming in some sense, like that actually counts against a philosophy. Yeah. So for nihilism in particular were you to really live a life of meaninglessness... Where you probably wouldn't live very long. Nihilism, for those who don't know, being the idea that life is inherently meaningless and therefore um, nothing you do matters. To, to live that would be to sit around all day, I guess.
1: <laughs> yeah, or, or just be completely debauched all the time, I yeah. guess.
0: There's a term called the hedonistic treadmill, which I'm sure you're familiar with. Which is basically, you spend your whole life fulfilling... In simple order, animalistic pleasures, and that's what you do because you feel like there's nothing greater to life.
1: Yeah. And so apparently the Rang Rang directed him away from this in the book.
0: Yeah, which is good because I think probably most people can relate to the idea of, <laughs> oh, I don't want to be like that person.
1: Oh, and it could be anything, it could be because they're overly, uh, Religious, and you see the they're they're judging people. They're too
0: angry. Yeah, or they're how many people low like just basic emotions like who wants when you see someone throw a temper tantrum. Most well-adjusted people like I just that's icky. I don't want to be like that. Like that's a learning or or lose their
1: mind on a waitress because their food isn't the way they want. Yeah,
0: like exactly anything simple like that, right? So there's there's values in rang rangs, I suppose, but. Don't be one. (laughs) Yeah,
1: (laughs) and make sure you know you find yours, and you're like, I don't want to be that because you need to direct yourself away from those kind of.
0: And the thing is, if you can't find a rang rang around, it means you're the goddamn rang rang. You're probably the (laughs) rang rang. You're the rang rang at that point. So (laughs) if you don't see anybody around you in your life who you're like, oh (laughs) jeez, I don't want to to be like that. You're that person. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So we have a twofer here because they're so related, which is, this is so funny. I mean, it, there's not much more than it is, but it's hilarious. So there's a stupa, which is a fog-bound child. And then the duffel is the destiny of thousands of people when placed in the hands of a stupa. <laughs> so Vonnegut couldn't be much more on the nose there than yeah. he is saying that.
1: No, that's, that was pretty self-explanatory. Yeah,
0: especially in a book... That initially is plot-driven by a nuclear bomb. <laughs> and, and then an even greater
1: cataclysm descends upon the Earth with this Ice-9 yeah, yeah,
0: exactly. Like, uh, it's bookended by... Actually, uh, there's a tangent we could go on
1: on this. Catastrophe. Which is the three kids are so easily deceived by everyone in their life to basically give this Ice-9 away. Because while they have it, the uh, Angela gives it to this man who shows up at her house and owns a secret weapons development facility and... Gives it to him, and Newt gives it to this Russian midget who he falls in love with and has, in his words, he never had a wedding, but at least he had a honeymoon. And then uh, our Franklin fellow gives it to Papa because Papa gave him this position as one of the head generals in his little nation of. So maybe all three of them are stupas. I May- was what I was thinking.
0: Maybe they are all stupas, which is too bad. Yeah, I like them. <laughs> I-, I like them too, but it's. But they're fog-bound children, right? If we think a little bit about what their life would have been like with this... Because the, their dad, Felix, the physicist who created Ice-9, was not around very much.
1: No, and it also seems like he didn't really care about thing regular things in life at all. All he really cared about was his science. There's a great scene in the book, and the beginning, where he's talking about his men that are being interviewed are talking about his wife his wife, Emily, and she was apparently the most beautiful and interesting woman in the world. But on the day that he was receiving his Nobel Prize, she made him this wonderful breakfast, and he tipped her. That was how oblivious he is, was. This is his wife of many years, right? Because all he cared about was science and, and so theories. So
0: it's easy to see why all three of them might have been in a fog-bound. Exactly. Or exactly. Fog, foggy-headed, right? Yeah. But I think more... Likely, well, more applicably, anyway. Uh, Vonnegut is talking about politicians or <laughs> yes. people who, or generals, or people who have a lot of power over uh, others who can be fogbound or single-track mind or not. Certainly, not taking into account. Maybe, like I bet you, even the most seasoned politician. There's nothing in our evolved evolved psychology that can comprehend having power over thousands and thousands of people right because it it has to get dispersed yeah there there
1: has to be a delegation of power
0: exactly so there's no intuition a person can have i don't think no like have that so how do you even keep that in perspective right
1: and yeah i think usually i think the way that the modern state has kind of tried to do that is through institutions like uh that are non-human basically in the sense that they're just rules that have to be followed like the rule of law i guess would be the the, the simplest one but there's a lot of other ones like that that we have to restrain powers on the st- power on the stupas yeah is the thing because if we no like you said no human has the capacity to cuz st-
0: one of the downsides of those institutions is that without rigor it's very easy to uh, create create grandfaloons exactly <laughs> right i mean a coterie uh, of cops who only look out for cops or teachers who only look out for teachers or like or
1: or any lack of fairness yeah any smaller group that works only for its own good and not and we're not saying that any of those people that we just mentioned are doing that we're just saying that any group that is putting their own interests ahead of the large organization needs to be slowed down because that's not good for society as a whole
0: yeah i just like the name stupa and duffel (laughs) seems so perfect We should just use that in general. Um, so another down. another one for what you mentioned earlier is a Sinwat. Yes, yes. And a so. Sinwat is a man who wants all of someone's love. Now, you could have a never ending amount of tragedies happening <laughs> if you think about that, right? Yeah. Like how how many stories throughout history are just jealousy based, right? Yeah. Let's say. Which we, is we, we, Jonah's lo- problem.
1: <laughs> we would lose a lot of good literature if we didn't have any jealousy, right? Mm-hmm. So we, need uh, our so we need our SINWAS. So we need our SINWAS. But also, I guess this goes... I mean, there's this discussion that's been happening endlessly all over the internet and throughout academia as a whole, but where we even evolved to have only one partner.
0: <laughs> Depends who you ask, I guess, but that's a much bigger topic. <laughs> that's for another too big podcast, of a topic for,
1: But, I mean, it goes into... I, it's interesting that this is addressed so many things in this book he addresses something like that and then j- moves on
0: yeah but i think like if you think about specifically a sinwat, we all kind of understand i would say most a lot of people understand the kind of like icky ugliness of ownership of ownership uh, of emotional ownership of someone right where it's like where are you going what are you doing who's gonna be there it it's a certainly lack of trust in betrays a, a massive lack of trust in another person and uh is ugly in the sense that it shows your, it's it's just bald-facedly showing your own insecurities, right? Which happens in the book with oh, yeah, Jonah near the yeah. end of it with Mona, right? So without talking about monogamy and polyamory, it's something worth meditating on if you are in a relationship or you are with someone that it's like, well, is it what you want that you have all of their love? And do, and why do you need all of their love, I think, is another
1: question. Because, like you were saying, I think it comes down to insecurity. If you feel like you just, if you need someone else to love you to be happy, then you're probably not loving them like they need to be
0: loved either. Uh, I, certainly not in a sustainable fashion. Yes. I think you're just, if you even have this impulse and it's like coming at you at all that other people can notice, you need a conversation ASAP with this person because yeah. this is a festering problem. And no one uses the term Sinwat as a compliment. No, <laughs> right? no, exactly, exactly. Uh, did you have any other boucanistic terms? I, uh, there's the Van Dit,
1: or I think I'm pronouncing it, or maybe it's Van Dit. Uh, and it's, what, it's that moment, like it's almost that aho moment or that deja vu moment, that moment that directs you in a different way. We were kind of talking about it with the Rang Rang, but it's that moment. Can happen in a positive or a negative way. And uh, <clears throat> I think we've all had moments in our lives that we kind of feel are almost spiritual, right? Where it's like, this feels significant. And I like that he names that because I think it's a human emotion. It's a human psychological process that we all go through. Why? I'm not going to speculate too, but it, I, I love that he names it because that's what I think religion is really good at doing. I think that's what he points out that religion is really good at doing. It's a, good at naming common experiences.
0: Yeah, and I mean, religion, to me, religion at its best is in the business of um, putting its finger on the human condition and giving channels to that in ways that bring a sense of meaning and hope and happiness and purpose. Obviously there are many instances of religion where that doesn't happen, but with such a intentionally made, <laughs> if you think about it, is basically like, at least in its inception, benign, well-intended Mormonism or right. like it's, a, it's any sort of religion <laughs> that is not shrouded in the mists of history. And, and like not you know where purposely it came cultish, from? in a sense, because you're not, like... Well, although Maybe, Like, Mormonism, I only use it as a sense that it's, like, a religion that we know the roots of. Very, right. very direct. And I mean,
1: it's not, like, a cult-like uh, personality cult. Well, I
0: guess it sort of is, though,
1: in a sense, because Boken is the, the center of it all. Mm-hmm. He just seems to be pretty benevolent. He's a benevolent cult.
0: Well, if leader. you... Okay, if, if we're going to make a contrast, Joseph Smith, apparently, I'm not a scholar, but he... Preyed on these vulnerabilities in humans, right? With his religion, yes. Whereas uh, Lionel Boyd Johnson slash Bokenan Boccon- or Bocconin, at 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 the very least had a desire to protect and cultivate them. And do, I mean, it seems like the foundation of the religion was
1: to alleviate misery. Yeah. Or at least make misery more bearable.
0: Mm -hmm. Maybe even make a virtue out of it. Right. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Right?
1: There's something admirable in that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, you got to feel like uh, Bocconi read some Nietzsche. This is probably a good time
1: to read this quote uh, on that. It's like, it works. This is, uh, sorry, this is Dr. Castle talking to John. He says, speaking about Bocconism, it works. I'm grateful for things that work. Not many things do work, you know. And actually, I felt like that quote sums up a lot of the um, milieu of the entire book, which is, well, everything's kind of sucky, and, and that's made clear throughout through little uh, statements that he makes. But, like, this bokanism works. It makes people happier. There's a scene when Papa's dying, and he's going through the Bokonistic ritual of death and i mean which is hilarious and you laugh really hard cuz god says to mud sit up mud and look at what i've made and 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 then it goes on about how horrible it is to be mud but also how great it is to be mud <laughs> and thanking god for making mud like you into a person right so it's it's a nice little scene but you could see well the in the writing he's trying to portray that this papa guy is getting real um psychological therapeutic benefit
0: from going through this ritual yeah Definitely. Well, I've been through religious rituals just in church. Yeah. Even something as simple as communion, and you can, you can get what's appealing to people, right? Oh, for the sure. The shared experience, and especially with death, like what traditionally, what other institution is in the business of talking about what's happening while you are dying, other than like the medical field, which is clinical about it. Right, it does seem to be religions that
1: are, are have a therapeutic, this, yeah. yes,
0: and what's that term, palliative, like a, a psychologically palliative take, yeah, on and, and it's the thing that they,
1: they do seem to be most concerned about, yeah. So, so I thought if you read the book, I highly recommend digging into that particular scene because he's he's saying a lot there. I think.
0: Yeah, why don't we um, talk about a few of our favorite quotes from the book and right. how they attribute? So I have a really good one. This is um, from still the first act of the book where they are, where, where jo- Jonah finds out that he's. Going to be going on this trip (laughs) to San Lorenzo, which he wasn't sure because he's like the first part of the book, he's just in like upstate New York somewhere. Just, yeah, wandering around. And so Vonnegut has a quote where he says, Peculiar travel suggestions are dancing lessons from God.
1: That's actually a quote from the book of Boken.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Right. So it's a, well, Well, still Vonnegut. (laughs) (laughs) I know, I know. But John
1: is quoting the book when he says that. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And he notices it as it's happening to him. And I really like that quote for the surface level, which is travel is great and dancing is fun. And like, you totally get the connection of, Oh yeah, let's go there today. I haven't thought I've been on trips before Southeast Asia where it's like, I'm with some friends and like, what about this? Do you think about doing this? And you're just like, you know what? Yeah, let's just 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 do it. it. Like, uh, that's like, I have danced before. I've never done this dance, but I would love to do it. But I, I also really like it because The fact that he reads it or finds out about it while he's doing it is just, I don't know if you've ever had this experience before, but like you read something, especially in good novels or good movies, where something happens to a character and you're like, oh yeah. Yeah. I totally get that feeling, right? Just a tangent. There's a movie called The Kings of Summer. And I remember there's a scene in the movie where The main character has a big crush on this girl, and she, throughout the narrative, shows that she's actually interested in his friend, not him. And I think he's sixteen. There's like they're sixteen in the movie, right? So he's you're um, you're on high level hormones. Yeah, a lot of hormones going on. And there's a great scene because she, he's excited. (laughs) They're out in like a tree fort, and she like wakes up in the middle of the night, and he thinks it's to go cuddle with him, and she walks over him, and goes to his friend. Ooh. And you see, like the look on his face go from like really anticipatory and excited to just totally despondent. And it's the middle of the night, and the camera just stays on him, and it turns to morning, and he doesn't close his eyes, and his face is just that same like it's just that same feeling. And it just to- like that specific scene throws me back to being a teenager. Oh, in where a weird way. You just don't like you just you feel devastated because of the girl you like doesn't <laughs> yeah, like you, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. I've never met the writer of that story, but to have a inclusion in my life of an idea that I've felt before by someone I've never met, I like that's that to me is itself also a dancing
1: lesson. One might say it's really true fiction. <laughs>
0: yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> Roll credits.
1: <laughs> okay. um, going to that point, actually, I have another one and it, it fits right into what you were saying. So I wanted to put it in here, but like who hasn't had this feeling? Mona had become a tremendous force in my meaningless life. I think a lot of people put a lot of the meaning and purpose of their life into their romantic relationships, and I think, understandably so, it's a very—it's one of the most intimate and important relationships in, to people. But I just love how he r- writes here because it's actually good character narrative, where he say he's giving us all that description of that time where you meet someone, and whether it lasts a week or you know the rest of your life, it hits you like a train. And, like, they, it becomes the force of your life, um, whereas he he contrasts that with talking about his meaningless life. And if you're not enough to be in a relationship and you're calling your life meaningless, why is anyone going to – what do you have to offer? Why is anyone going to be with you? So uh, that really struck me. As, so you're saying you got to have, like, meaning outside of it? Well, I think – yeah, exactly. And I think, what, do you, what are you bringing to the relationship so in this instance, what was he bringing to the Jonah relationship? is a schmuck. Yeah, and what's he bringing to this relationship with this most beautiful girl in the world who like is obviously the the Mary Mary symbol for this island.
0: You know what he sounds like? He sounds like he's a incel. Yeah, like a nice guy. <laughs> exactly. Right? Not even a nice guy, just like No, no, but like, no, like kind of grumpy and oh, yeah. I just deserve a hot girlfriend. I just want her to love me
1: cuz I saw her and I thought she was hot. Exactly, and I, I loved how he makes that character so alive in just that one sentence where it's like, oh, that's a feeling we've all had, falling in love, and now you're calling yourself meaningless, and you're describing why you you have two divorces, 250,000 cigarettes, and 3,000 quarts of booze in you.
0: I think you're right in the sense that Joan is a schmuck who's not bringing anything, and that's his problem. It's not her problem. If I'm going to do a little advocate, advocacy for the devil, though... If you think about like the monotony of grocery shopping, going to work, if, especially if it's a job you don't get a lot out of other than money, maybe you have very surface level friendships or acquaintances, a lot of the like minutia of adulthood, when you come across a person who's like a thunderbolt to that routine, I think that's something worth really paying attention to. You oh know?
1: yeah. I think well that's a, that goes back to the very beginning. So like
0: if if we're not if we're being less strict about the meaning of the word meaningless in this context. Yeah. There is something to the joy you get when you meet someone I guess who would be in your crevasse. It doesn't yeah, you, that's even have to gonna be say, a yeah. romantic. Partner. It brings you back
1: to your crevasse. Yeah. yeah. Not crevasse. Caress.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like we're just saying Car-ass. Yeah. Think car-ass. Think car-ass, yeah. exactly. And then you're just in bumper-to-bumper bumper traffic. <laughs> Which is another meaningless activity that
1: people don't enjoy. And there it is. <laughs> there it is. Do you have any more quotes? Yeah, you- just a
0: couple. So there's a there's a line in the book when Baconin and McCabe show up to the island. And it says they have the glittering treasures contrasted to the inhabitants of the island that didn't have any of these they had the glittering treasures of literacy ambition curiosity irreverence health humor and a considerable info of the outside world these incidentally being all attributes about someone that i highly value (laughs) uh, i get a kick out of these things and i think these are just attributes that are worth cultivating you know i love the irreverent part, because Vonnegut himself, like a theme in all his books, he's just very irreverent. Yes. He has no problem taking on any sacred cow and for a pursuit of authenticity and the truth. And I love that. But I just love how he, I guess it's just why I love him as a writer, in that he knows what are things of value in a person, right? Yes. And so, obviously, used poorly. These are tools, yeah. literacy, ambition, curiosity. How are you going to spend your treasure? They're tools, right? You can use a hammer to build a birdhouse or to brain a dog, yeah. right? It's ooh, just how ooh. you its how you use it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I just love, though, that he recognizes that because they're things I really value too. Uh, another line he uses is something called the drunkard's illusion, <laughs> ooh. which is, um, it's okay to speak frankly as long as you're being affectionate with someone. <laughs> Uh, so it's basically unsolicited truth, right? Right. <laughs> that- Which
1: not always. Mom, my mother always told me that. What's the point of truth without love? So,
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, alcohol. Yes. Stops those inhibitors. So, hey, I know you. Let's. Uh, <laughs> I just think that's funny. You know, like that's a that's just a good next time I see someone being overly affectionate or overly honest or and especially with someone i'm not that close with yeah yeah like oh they're operating under the drunkard's illusion you know (laughs) and its it's, i mean we've all
1: i think anyone who drinks has experienced that weird camaraderie you have with other drunk people
0: certainly when i was late teens early 20s yeah i was much more prone to that yeah uh so yeah definitely i guess we should say Title of the book, "Cat's Cradle," yes, right. comes from the game, right? Which is the, very old that old game. I I don't even know how it works, but it's with string. So and you make a yeah. Basically, you make little n- patterns. Web?
1: Yeah, you make webs and patterns on your hands, and then you tell. Well, one of the w- things with string. Yeah, one of the things that Kurt uh, says in the book is that it actually it's funny because when you look at the shapes, they don't actually look like the things you're describing. It requires imagination to think that when you make the cat's cradle with the string that it actually looks like a cat in a cradle because it looks like a bunch of X's, right? It looks like some some strings on on fingers. And I'm not sure why he called cat's cradle, but I think that line in the book kind of gives it away in that he's saying we create these things and then tell everyone, look, it's a cat in a cradle, and it's not a cat in a cradle. It's just some string in your hands.
0: And, And especially because in that scene he's talking to children. Yes. So we tell kids something's there. And they trust adults, and it's kind of how stories get uh, perpetuated, yes, right? Where yes. you know the cat's cradle. What's there? You don't see it. Well, you look harder. It's definitely there, right? Yeah, look at it. It's yeah. even uh, even looking
1: at constellations. Not saying that constellations don't exist in the stars, but uh, or constellations rather, but they are mostly just humans finding patterns in relative chaos. So, what would be the cat's cradle constellation? Nah, the big dipper. Let's just say the big dipper because <laughs> that's one of the ones I know.
0: Uh, so there's just a little section of the book that I want to read out too that I think has so much, just the point, a lot of this, right? It's like, because a lot of this book is not being able to understand all that's going on, but still feeling like you want to have some control over it. So there's a little bit of, uh, I guess it's a poem. So this is a poem again from uh, Bakonin, which it's... um tiger got to hunt, bird got to fly, man got to sit and wonder why, why, why. Tiger got to sleep, bird got to land, man got to tell himself he understand.
1: Yeah, and is, I think that's, that's a, a g- really great way to, to point out exactly the funniness of this book, but also the, or the, the hilarity of this book, but also the profundity of it. Because I think we've all spent our time wondering why,
0: why, why. And probably a lot of us have spent our time saying, I understand now. And my last quote that I really enjoyed from the book was, it is never a mistake to say goodbye. Oh, yeah. Because it's like, you'll never know when it's the last time you're going to see someone. I mean, there's lots of things you never know. Like, you can never know when's when's the last time you're going to go on a bike ride, right? Or just things you kind of do sometimes in your life, right? But... Uh, I, I like – this line especially reminds me of how much I love Vonnegut in the sense that he always pays attention to what's really good about humans while he's still satirizing and trashing the bad stuff about them. And relationships with other people are so important to him. Yeah,
1: and I thought that – I have another quote that I really liked that I thought kind of encapsulated it. It says, it's not possible to make a mistake. And at the time, John didn't know that that was a common – Bocanistic greeting to people who are shy. And I just loved that attention to detail. People who are shy are so worried they're going to make a mistake when they're talking to other people. And he points that out, and he, and, and part of the religion is it's not possible to make a mistake, <laughs> giving them that that ability to, to feel confidence to engage with you.
0: Yeah, well, the theme of Bocanism is essentially like, what is the human going through? Yes. Right. Yeah. It's all. It's a hundred percent human condition. Interested. Yes. As opposed to um, a, like a goal-oriented philosophy, um, the goal of Bokanism is human well-being. In a way, well, at least in a sense that it's human psychological well-being based on based on having nothing. circumstances. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, one of the things that you can control is how you react to the insecurities and foibles of others so shyness is often not easy for people so to just give them that extra encouragement yeah like things you do with kids you know like kids who are feeling not confident or like they have something to say they just need a little kick in the pants
1: yeah that was my i think my favorite part about Bokanism is that it really did like you said in your quote earlier it really cares about people Mm -hmm. and like thinking about the little things that just bother other people.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's true. I mean, too bad it too bad the whole world froze and everything. <laughs> yeah, too died. bad that the ice nine <laughs> got into everything and
1: and there was a mass suicide. Yeah, and,
0: yeah, and there's yeah. mass suicide, but then they're they're alive at the end. Some of them. Some of them. <laughs> Jonah
1: lives. Jonah lives. Although at the at the very end Boken suggests that he climbs to the top of the mountain and, and frees himself to death, mocking God. So,
0: Yeah. So, well, we're waiting for the sequel. We're waiting for the but sequel. But since this mo- book was published in 1963, probably not. and get Kurt a Vonnegut sequel. died, I think, in, I believe it was 2007. Probably, we're, we're probably gonna not going to get a sequel. We're going to be wait- what's what's Joe to do it up there still, anyway? So I think maybe this is a good time for just some closing thoughts yeah. on the story so. and what it means. For me, the thing that I took away the most from this book is the contrast of the car- carass and the grand faloon carass being, um, and like they can be people who come about or that you get to know through uh, how I'm interpreting it. It's not strictly in the book, but if we're going by my emergent definition, it's like you can meet people through top down formal ways. Like i met people. I was on a sports team with that I really liked. I met people, Who are I met people in Korea where I lived for three and a half years who are from Canada that I really liked, but I didn't like them because they were from Canada, right? Or I didn't like the guy on my hockey team because he was on my hockey team. That just happened to be how I met them. But that wasn't the tie. The tie was how I actually got along with them. And I just, I feel so... I, I love that contrast between the people that... You enjoy spending your time with because of emergent qualities that are just there because it's how you are and how they are, versus the grand falunist, what would you say? Grand ones, yeah. <laughs> which are ascribed to you by society, society, or a, an authority figure or a structure of which you're born into and play a role because it's more authentic. And it was just one of those moments where I read it. I was like, yeah i I know what that's like. I totally know what that's like, so that's my favorite part of the book and just from a prose sense, like just do yourself a favor and read it yeah Vonnegut he's just so funny the, he's he's funny in the tradition of Mark Twain for sure. I'd also
1: say if you like people like Douglas Adams or Terry Pratchett you'll you'll definitely like Kurt Vonnegut,
0: yeah, and so this book, even though it is. kind of a depressing book um, with a lot of death and destruction but it's not a withering heights there's moments of humor (laughs) oh mostly humor I would say I like the parts of Bocanism that are uplifting to the human condition because of the realization of how hard it is and like sure the inhabitants again of the island are resource immiserated but like Bocanism goes so much deeper to, than that than all of the psychological gaps we have and the spiritual and the social ones and like the relationship-based relationship, relationship based ones. So it's not just that we don't have enough food like they did on the island, but that like just those needs that obviously real-life religions play for people. Yeah, right? right, exactly. But <laughs> I mean, in a way, Bocanism was almost like an experiment because it was so...
1: in a much a small
0: area. So it's such a small sample size and like they weren't, <laughs> well, he certainly couldn't get off the island no. to go proselytize or anything like no, that, right? No, it wasn't a conquering religion in um, any conquistador sense, right? So, I yeah, Bokanism is is fun, yeah, and and uh,
1: and, and it's a really uh, cool way of thinking about religion,
0: yeah. And next time I meet someone in my karass, I'm gonna uh, Bokumaru them for sure.
1: <laughs> I want to feel their soul, man. We're gonna have to Bokumaru at some point. Okay.
0: <laughs> so, what, what's your takeaway from the book?
1: I think my biggest takeaway was kind of threefold. One, just the enjoyment of the prose, as you said. He he really can weave words together in a way that just makes you feel the enjoyment and the experience that he's putting you through as a character. I also really enjoyed thinking about religion in that way and, and looking at how religion can be um, helpful to people and how... A lot of it is taking care of misery that we just don't have a way to deal with yet uh, from science. And then I think the other part that I really enjoyed was how he could make such a miserable character and let's say someone who who seemingly doesn't have anything going for him but make him so interesting and show us some of the, the pitfalls that people like that have in their lives and, and try to
0: direct us away from them. Yeah, cool. I think there's a lot in this book for self-reflection of how the kind of people you want to be around and how you want to treat them and what you can learn from people who uh, I think there's like a, I can't remember. I think it was Galileo. He has a quote where he says, I never met a man so ignorant. I couldn't learn something from him, which is essentially a rang rang. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yes, yes. So yeah, there's just um, so many nuggets of gold in this and you know, just uh, certainly humor being one of them, you know, the fact that it is so funny to read while these ideas are coming up is why he's such a valued and treasured uh, icon in the history of literature. So anyway, this has been cat's cradle by Kurt Vonnegut. Uh, Thank you so much for listening. This is really true fiction. Again, my name is Luke Mason and I'm David Parker. And uh, we really hope you tune in next time. Thank Thanks you so much for joining much. us. Have a good night.